of us. One, because I've not actually been on a show. I'm, For a while. I'm, I'm one of your hosts, Daryl Pace. And, uh, I'm the other, Byron Pace. And uh, we, I don't think we've actually had a show this year where it's just us two and catching up on a few things. No, I don't think so. We, we do do it periodically. It's normally like an interim show where we'll give a bit of a news update, catch everyone up on what's been happening in the world of hunting, fishing, conservation, wildlife, the environment, all of the above. Um, but this is the first of 2018, which is kind of strange because it's August. <laughs> yeah, but we've been busy and we've had amazing guests throughout the entire year. So We had a huge amount of feedback on our show two weeks ago, uh, which was with uh, Jenna Gearing. So if for some reason, if you're a new listener and you don't know who that was and you haven't listened to that show, or for some reason you haven't listened to it, but you're listening to this show and you're a current listener. It's the one behind. Go back and listen to yeah. it. Um, it's been tremendously popular. We've even had people sending us messages saying that they've reevaluated their life as a result of listening to that show, which is pretty cool and staggering. Yeah, it is. So we can make a difference. We can. We can make a difference. Um, do we have any? Uh, should we get into the news? Yeah, well, or I mean, we'll, should we do the the competition? Well, yeah, we'll get the competition out of the way. So yeah. we didn't have one uh, two weeks ago uh, because we were giving a whole bunch of gear, Hornady reloading manual, some mugs, CZ um, f- uh, doormat, and a couple of other things, which we'll put up a, a picture of um, to a very good cause that's being run by uh, Scott Country. So uh, you'll see the details of that. They're yet to put up the details for that. Um, it's more, a raffle, more, more isn't it? More to follow. Though? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's or an auction. auction. An auction. An auction. Um, but you'll see more details about that. But we have a new competition for uh, as per regular for the show. And we're going to give away a Reloading with Rosie mug. It's Coffee. Very sought after. It is. There's not actually yeah, no, that many of them no, around. There, there isn't actually, because I was looking at it the other day, and I have not seen a single other person put up a picture of one of those mugs online. So uh, I think we have one of the very few in we the do. world. I think we've got four or five. Yeah. Uh, so there was um, a reloading series uh, that was launched by Edgar Brothers in conjunction with Hornady maybe four or five months ago uh, now. And as a regular listeners will know, we give away a lot of Hornady gear. Um, we've got a whole bundle of reloading manuals, the latest edition of reloading manuals to give away. And we've given away some reloading dies. And there's a whole heap of other reloading stuff. So it's in conjunction with that uh, that we're going to be giving this away. So you'll see up a picture up on the social media and how to enter. Have you thought how people are going to enter this, Dale? Uh No, I've not. Uh, well, I tell you what. Let's get a reloading picture from somebody. Let's see your reloading desk. Um, or if you don't reload, then you can just... Yeah, because I was going to say the numbers are quite small, actually, that, that, people, that reload. people reload. There's more and more. It's increasing. It is. But I, if you take a percentage of our listeners, you probably only find that it's actually a tiny percent that actually reload themselves. Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do instead. What we would like to do is a lot of the season, the grouse season is open. The seasons are slowly opening in front of us here. Um, there's people already out after stags. Uh, the roebuck rut has passed. Fishing now, well underway. Fishing, yeah, we've actually had some rain, so yeah. people are catching some fish. So just give us a picture of what you're doing at this time of year. Um, Harvest is still on in yes. the north of Scotland. We will, even, if you're a farmer and you can't get away to do the things that you really want to be doing because you're harvesting, we'll even accept a harvesting picture. 
We just want to see what you're up to. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So all you'll have to do is um, put it under the social media post or tag us on Instagram. Uh, and if you do not have any social media, which I we know a number of you don't, then just send us a picture through email, which is podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. Done. Done. Right, we're getting straight into, into it. Straight into the nitty gritty. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll start with a real easy one, which is just to make people aware of something that's coming up on the BBC on Sunday. I think it's five past six. Uh, there's a program called The Deer Stalker, which is a pretty rare thing for the BBC to show. So the, what, su- the Sunday this comes out, because after this weekend, it's completely irrelevant. But it will be on iPlayer for a yeah. month. Um, so it, that's. I don't actually have my phone on me to see what the date is today. I think it's the nineteenth. <laughs> Of 19th of August, I think. 2018. <laughs> just so, in case you're listening to this in just, 2019. Well, we know the number of people do go yeah. back, um, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, so it's going to be on iPlayer for a month. But if not, I imagine it'll be, it somewhere, will be somewhere, else. somewhere else afterwards. So what's it called? It's called uh, The Deer Stalker. Uh, and all I've seen is the, the trailer, sort of a two and a half minutes of it, and a bit of a spiel. I read up about the production company that made uh, that made it. They do a lot of stuff for the BBC, like um, air ambulance and yeah. real-life jobs. That's the kind of documentaries they make. And for the most part, from what I can see, it looks like a very uh, honest portrayal of, of deer stalking. But we'll see. Um, but it's nice that the BBC are showing something like that because it's been a very long time since I've seen a programme of that kind of nature on the BBC. Not that I actually even have a TV in my house, but no, I, I do try and keep a, I don't a have, track um, on what's going on. I don't on. actually have live TV as, as such in my house either. I don't even have an aerial in my house. <laughs> you know, I, I had an f- old friend of mine from university uh, staying over um, over the weekend, and he said, do you realise how ironic it is that you run a film production company, but you don't even have a TV in your house? <laughs> so, yeah, I never really thought about that before. Well, we have TVs over our house. Yeah, we do. And and yeah, I mean, we I do we do have a TV. I have the screen. I just don't. No, have... I don't even have the screen. <laughs> yeah, I've just got slightly distracted because there's about I don't know a hundred lapwings more. Look, they're still coming. Oh wow! Flying over the house right now. Wonder where they're off to. They'll all be mobbing up. More. There's more coming. That's pretty cool. That is amazing. Any, anyway, no one can see that. No, so. they can't. But <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's what happens when you've got a lovely view from where you're recording the podcast. You see stuff. So you're up next, us. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to, try to decide what... Um, well, mine's what, ra- completely random. Yeah, so my, mine is as well. Um, I've, I've got one here. This is quite an interesting one. Uh, dogs who need saving within the UK. And these are uh, dog breeds that um, have either only had a small amount of litters or next to nothing in the last 12 months. And I'm going to read you the list because some of them I have never even heard of. Some of them I, I knew of. So French Bulldog, I didn't know that was a, a one that was under threat. So all of these dogs have had less than 100 litters in uh, 2017, I think. So some of them had like 40 litters and some even less. So French Bulldog, an Otter Hound. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, Sarah the quite, Farnsworth won the yeah. Leica Field Sports photography Quite an impressive dog, actually. Yeah, with, with um, pictures of them. A Sky Terrier. They're also very cool dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glen of Imal Terrier, never heard, never of, heard it. of that. Oh. Uh, a field spaniel, it looks just kind of like an normal spaniel if you ask me. Um, uh, a curly coat retriever, I've seen those actually. A Sussex spaniel, I'm, it, no, I'm, uh, I'm blank no. for me. I've never seen a Sussex. A, a smooth collie, I've I, seen, I, I've seen them before. Irish water spaniel, we've got oh, pictures we of one. Yeah. Um, Irish red and white setter. 
I thought I well, think I'm, I've seen them before yeah. working, yeah. And uh, smooth fox terrier. Is that it? Yeah. I'm surprised Columbus Spaniel isn't on there. Yeah. Well, maybe it had more than a hundred. Maybe it just had more than a hundred. Yeah. I know Columbus Spaniel. Well, this this was only have... the top, the top ah, okay. list. This okay. was a, this wasn't the definitive list. Ah, I see. So um, interesting. Yeah. So there we have it. If you've got one of those breeds, then uh, then it could be a rare breed. And if you're considering a dog, then maybe, maybe what, consider, maybe one, consider of the, one of these breeds that are... I'm going to look into Field Spaniel, because I don't really know anything about a Field Spaniel, but you're telling me they look a lot like like a Springer, or... Um, for, the thing is, I only saw one picture of it, and it looked like... It looked a bit like a Cocker, actually. Mm. Quite a slender body on it. And I'll check that a thinnish out. face. But you get so many variations on the types of dogs that even like my cocker spaniel looks, looks <laughs> a, like a giant compared to other cocker spaniels. If you are a podcast listener and you own one of those breeds, we'd love to hear from you. And send, send us, us a picture, picture of your dog. Yeah, yeah, send us a picture. If you have especially or know someone with some of the more obscure breeds that we've never heard of, um, like the Sussex Spaniel, send us a picture. Mm. We'd love to know. Vaccine for Lyme disease. I didn't think I'd have a chance to talk about this at any point in the upcoming years since we first started talking about it on the podcast maybe two years ago. But apparently now there is a very good chance that they're, they're going to be able to uh, release a vaccine for Lyme disease that's going to be up to 96% effective. Um, at the moment it's in trials, so they think that it's going to be possible uh, and it seems like a, a real reality now. Uh, whereas only a few years ago, I mean, we're only really just understanding it in this country now. An interesting fact that was in the same article as that was that um, compared to a decade ago, Lyme's disease in the UK is found in two times as many locations as a decade ago. Hmm. But I mean, but I, it, that, I, it, it could be the case that it was always there. Yeah. But, but we now just weren't aware of it. Well, the or testing is better. Or the spread of people and animals has gone mm. further. So it's hard to say what the because cause and effect we, we is. we can see through um, just our species of deer in the UK how they're spreading north. Yeah. Um, particularly the ones down... down the smaller know, deer. The smaller species. deer. So that in itself is... There's a population... Shift. Shift, yeah. and it's moving north because it's getting a little bit warmer up here. But it is a, a, um, you know, it's a really serious problem uh, if you're affected by it. Tim Pilbeam... Uh, who is on Field Sports Channel quite a lot and writes for Rifle Shooter. He's been a long-term sufferer of Lyme disease. And I didn't actually even know that until quite recently. I've known him for a lot of years, but I didn't know that until quite recently. And he has been writing a series in Rifle Shooter about living with it. Um, so go and check that out. Um, it'll be, even it'll if be, you have, don't suffer with it yourself, it's really interesting. It'll be a game changer. It really will, especially if the a vaccine comes out, because um, it basically means anyone that... I mean... I. It won't. It, it'll never be a blanket thing. No, the population needs it, but it'll be people high risk, high risk people. Yeah. foresters, gamekeepers, game um, even people that spend a lot of time just hill walking as well. The, yeah. the, they're the the kind of people that would be deemed as high risk. I, I would I would think that we would probably get it I as well. I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> Considering the amount of tick tick bites we've both had, I've been quite lucky this year. I think I've only pulled one tick uh, off it. Two, two this year. That's it. And compared to last year, but I believe they've been quite bad. I don't know why. I've just maybe just been a bit lucky. And there were only tiny ones as well that I pulled off. It always freaks me out when they're really big. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was all I had on that. Okay, dokie. Um, it's I actually saw it back in the news today, but this was in the news. It's it's been in the news 
um, quite a bit. But pangolins, we've also spoken about it multiple times in the last two or three years yep. um, about pangolins. Ivan uh, Carter talked about them. We yes, he did. It. Um, it's a species that you may never even have heard of. Or maybe you have recently because it's been a little bit more in the news. If you don't know what it looks like, the only way I can really describe it is it looks like a bit an armadillo. Everyone it looks knows a bit what, like that. Yeah. Everyone knows what an armadillo looks like. A little armored. It's more scaly. Than yeah, that. a lot more scaly. And um, scientists in China have been asking for nature reserves to be made up for them um, because there's been a 50% decline in Asia since the 1970s um, and is the most trafficked mammal on the planet. A lot of pangolins get shipped out of Africa. Yeah, so... The the poaching, I didn't realize how bad it was. Obviously, Africa is a, a prime target, but I didn't realize how bad it was in um, in Asia as well. And I didn't realize how many species there was. I think there's eight species of pangolin. In Asia? In Asia. Well, oh. no, Asia and Africa. Oh, okay. And uh, they range all the way up to the, the Himalayan mountains. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So I always had it in my mind that they were primarily an African no, species. No, they're not. So I think there's probably more in Asia than there is. And if you're wondering what they get used for, uh, their primary use is for medicinal purposes, for their scales, so they get ground down to a powder, and the rest of them is used for meat. But the meat, I think, from my understanding, is actually a secondary part of it. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that gets poached and smuggled out of Africa is dried. Yeah, you see them; they're like flat, dry skins, essentially. It's because it's hard to transport over big distances yeah. when you've got, and them. they don't need them alive. So. Yeah. Um, something closer to home, and nothing more than really an observation. Uh, my cousin was over from uh, from New Zealand, the same cousin that I was with when I was in New Zealand uh, just recently, and he was fishing uh, for finnick up in the Moray Firth. And he was saying he had the most incredible experience in the evening that he was out. And his brother, who actually lives up by Inverness, had told him to go down to this particular place because he would uh, had, there was a very high chance that he would see this. Because there had been so little rain up until literally like, the last week, uh, the a lot of the, the salmon, the migratory fish that would normally be up the rivers by now, have been sitting off the coast. And every every tide, the dolphins have been pushing the salmon up onto the beach to eat them. And Ant saw this. He was standing fishing, and the dolphins were almost pushing these salmon up between his legs onto the beach. It's something I would love to have seen. They're not stupid dolphins. They're not stupid. But can you imagine this year how bad the predation in the coastal reaches have been for migratory fish as a result of not being able to get up the rivers? Because they're... Fairly safe. Those bigger fish are fairly safe once they're in the rivers, but in the sea, dolphins, seals, all manner the, of birds, the, other the fish. The thing is, if if it if you just take away human involvement, that would just be a completely natural thing. There would be enough fish. It would be a natural cycle of every ten years they get hammered because they can't get up the rivers or whatever it is. But mm. obviously, with the pressures that's been put on them everywhere else that extra bit of predation is probably going to have yeah, uh, yeah. A, a, an effect on exactly. it. Exactly. With, with some rivers which are marginal anyway in terms of their reproductive states, this year could be the tipping point. But a dolphin's so, got to eat. I do. I, I didn't have this written down, but I spoke to Chris Conroy, who's been on this podcast before, who is the fisheries biologist up in the Loch Ness system. Uh, up in the nest system, sorry. And I was asking him about pink salmon to see if they had seen any this year. And he oh, said they only know of one this year. But he was saying that because of the life cycle, 
he wasn't actually expecting to see anything this year. So next year is going to be the telling year. And if they don't see anything really next year, then it was a blip. If they see loads, he reckons they're probably here to stay. That's really cool. That's that's interesting. Are you... Yeah, on on to the next thing. Um... In fact, I'll do. I'll kind of do two here. Um, there are. I didn't really read too much into it because there's still not really a huge amount of information how it's going to work. But there's new laws coming in to stop puppies being sold by um, by pet shops. Oh, that was literally like two days ago. Yeah, yeah. In England, I think it is. Ah, I missed that part. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's only England right now. Um, I'm not too sure. Well, they're how... trying to stop puppy farms, aren't they? Yes, it is. It's trying to curb puppy farms. I think it has to be like through registered dealers. Um, breeders and uh, sorry breeders and you can't from the quick thing i read you can't buy it from a shop or anything uh unless they're over six months old ah okay so it's for young dogs for young young puppies Mm. it's not a bad thing i don't think no i i i think especially when you're going to buy a dog you need to do the research and speak to people that have got dogs if you can't see the mother and and I think that's a big tell. If you can't see the mother, then there's a there's a alarm bell should be ringing straight away. Not being able to see the father is not always the biggest issue in the world because um, often they're stud stud dogs. So um, my cocker spaniel, I never got to see the father, but I know exactly who the father is because I actually see pictures of him online all the time. <laughs> um, so I know who his father is, but you know his mum was same with me. I, I didn't yeah. see the the father of my new puppy, but um, I saw the bitch. So. Uh, yeah, if you're going to own a dog, I think people sh- should be able to have the, the the invest the time to go and do it properly, and it's a, a very sort of easy option, isn't it? Go to a pet shop and pick pluck a puppy. Yeah, I so, mean they're saying that more people should take rescue dogs. Um, you know, if they, if you're going to get a dog, consider a rescue dog. And there there's there's two. Pro- well, I I see a problem with that. Is one. Rescue places always struggle to get hold, um, old, get rid of older dogs. And if you've got more people trying to get them, then you're only going to be left with a certain amount. But secondly, um, I think it's wrong to say if you if you're getting a dog, you should consider a rescue dog first. Is because often rescue dogs, and we know this through experience, mm. are damaged. We've had two. We've had two rescue dogs, and there is something very different to having a dog from a puppy from a good litter to having a rescue dog because I, I wouldn't say all the time, but um, a lot of the time the the dogs are there through no fault of their own, but sometimes there is issues with the dog and that's why they've been... Um, well, maybe the issues have developed because developed, of the way yeah, they've been treated. Yeah, or they've been brought up with bad habits and things like that. So yeah, it can be it can be something that you really have to be sure you know what you're getting into, um, and it it always breaks my heart to see the well, we, dogs we, and rescue we, homes. We know a number of people that have ha- had rescue dogs as well. Uh, our friend, they had a rescue dog, uh, Collie, and that dog was never the right from the day that um, they got it. It, it, it and would, eventually came around. It takes a special kind of person yeah, to be does. able to bring out the the dog that's hiding in some of those rescue dogs. I take my hat off to people that that especially dedicate their time to um, doing rehabilitating, after, rehabilitating yeah. rescue dogs because it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience, and it is heartbreaking because I would say that ninety nine percent of the time it could have probably been fixed when it was. Um, a puppy if it was done properly. There's a lot of horrible people out there, <laughs> as, as we know from our own husky. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so moving straight on to 
um, the RSPCA. I, I don't know if people saw this this week. Um, and for our foreign listeners, the RSPCA is the Royal Society for Protection Against Cruelty to Animals, I think it yep. is. Um, and it was formed in the, the early early 90s, and 1930s, I think it was. And this is a charity, uh, and it's come under a little bit of uh, light uh fire, sorry, over the last week, because the boss was paid um, a sum more than uh, £150,000 over his salary uh, to leave. Mm. Uh, that was his golden handshake. Which is golden get handshake, lost. get lost. Um, and the charity commission are looking into it. I mean, this is, a, this is a charity that's meant to be looking after the welfare of animals. They, they target specifically, I would say, um, older sex of society. Oh yeah, that's um, what I was going to. That's so what I was going to say. That's y- they get their money from people's charitable donations. Yeah, and what you say is right. It tends to be. I mean, they've been caught out. Uh, lots of charities, not just them, have been caught out before in recent years uh, for deliberately and targeting har- and vulnerable people and harassing, and harassing them. vulnerable people. Um, these guys and other people have is is a hundred percent. I know they do it. Um, you know, they'll go, oh, can you donate three pounds? Yeah, three pounds a month. Next month, oh, you know, for an extra three pounds, you can you can save this bird. And then it just goes on and on. And um, there's loads of articles online about charities harassing people for more money. And, um, you know, some people are savvy. and like, you know what? I gave you money and I'm going to cancel now because you've harassed me for, for more. Um, but the, the point being is is that if you've got a boss of a charity that's meant to be looking after um, animals being paid over £150,000, you've got to really ask yourself... Well, no, it, he was paid £150,000 grand extra on top of the 150 yeah. odd that he was already being paid. Yeah, but you, I mean, even £150,000 yeah. salary is, I would say, verging on absolutely ridiculous for um, what is meant to be someone that is... Something paid for by charitable, by charitable donation. Yeah. If this was someone in the banking world, hmm. they would be... Oh yeah, they'd be hung, drawn. They'd be hung, drawn, drawn, quartered. And also, keep in mind that that's one person. There will be a hierarchy of people underneath him, or it was a guy, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. there'll be a hierarchy of people underneath him who are also on very, very well-paid positions. But a lot of these charities, not just animal charities. Um, if you don't believe me, go and look it up. You can look at, uh, you can find out all of the salaries of all the top uh, things: Save the Children, Oxfam, Red Cross, um, and all of their top bosses are on over a hundred thousand pounds a year, mm. <laughs> which is is insane, absolutely. Insane. I mean, my my issue uh, is not the actual amount; it's how the organisations gather money and then tie it to the amount. I've got no problem with people earning lots of money. No, that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. If you work hard, you're going to earn lots of money. But when you've got an organization which doesn't make its money through uh, you know, the cap- capital markets, they're not producing something, they're relying on the goodwill of yeah, hardworking, of hard-working people. people. I don't think that's right. Yeah, I think I should, yeah, should reiterate, making money is not a bad thing. You know, if you're making a hundred, two hundred thousand pounds a year, then that's awesome. Great, yeah, <laughs> great job. But if it's through the charitable donations of of people, and a lot of the time people with not necessarily a lot of money, very true. Yeah. Um, then there's a real is it mor- right? Is it, mo- is it morally right? <laughs> it's morally not no, right. It's not. How, how is it's it morally corrupt? How 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 can I just I I can't get it through my head because you think that if you work for a charity. Part of you 
wants to be part of the, the solution and you taking a huge salary, surely that money could be could be better could used. be better used. And then I mean you can go into the the other things that go on those those charities. Well yeah, we've seen it all recently with the sex scandals, haven't we? Yeah. Was uh, that Red Cross or Oxfam or uh, I can't Oxfam. remember. I'm not going to say because I actually can't remember off the top of my head. It was one of those charities, and I think the particular case that was highlighted was in Haiti. Yes, it was. But I mean, that's happening all over the world. And the thing is, you'd have to be an idiot to think that it didn't go, had, still isn't going on now to yeah. this day. Um, it's absolutely insane. And then it goes, you know, you can look further into even the animal charities where um, PETA and I, I'm. I would. Put, I wouldn't even class PETA as an animal no, charity. But, but I mean, yeah, they they put they put down a huge amount of their. Oh, well, most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that um, we've also seen in the past, it was, I think it was a friend of ours, there was some animal charities, it's really weird how charities work, because um, they obviously need animals to make money, so we had a friend that was trying to donate, it was a donkey barn. He wanted to get a donkey. Get a donkey from a donkey sanctuary. Because he liked donkeys. And they wouldn't give him one because they needed the donkeys. Because of people paying to come to the donkey sanctuary. How insane is that? They didn't have enough donkeys. And he wanted to give this, he wanted two donkeys. He ended up getting two llamas instead. He had loads (laughs) of llamas. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, (laughs) And he wanted to, yeah, he was doing a good deed. And he was going to pay for the donkeys. Like he's just like, well, tell me how much they cost, and I'll buy them off you, and it'll help support the sanctuary. I know we don't have enough. We don't have enough donkeys uh, as it is to encourage people to come through. It's like that's madness, madness. But anyway, so from was are that you done on that? Yeah, that's okay. that's it. Uh, from that to the environment, and I, I saw a cool little video the other day or a couple of weeks ago uh, that was technologies that are just been recently invented or currently in place that are helping clean up and save the environment. Uh, there was a 10, I think, and I've sort of picked the, the top five top five in my mind. The first one was this device called a sea bin. I don't know if you've seen this, Daryl. I have seen it. Yeah. So Where it basically sits on the surface and then yeah. sucks all the stuff. It's basically a, a large design of what you get in swimming pools. Yeah, um, same thing. Swimming pools. Like the swimming pool filter. Uh, the outdoor swimming pools that take leaves and that off the, to the top. If same you know, idea. Yeah, same idea. If you, if you live anywhere but the UK, you probably yeah, know what we're you talking know what, about. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a big ring that sits. It's got um, a, essentially a bag in it, but it's, it's a membrane that the water can pass through. And it just... The, the lip of it bobs and it sucks the water down into a vortex and anything that it sucks down, so a plastic bag or bits of debris, it's, it's mainly designed for cleaning up uh, plastics, that's that's the main focus of it, rather than organic material, um, goes through the water passes out the bottom but it keeps all the rubbish in. But can you imagine these around harbours and just anywhere where people can monitor them and collect the bags? Yeah. It's it's I mean it's a great it's so simple. I guess the only problem is is how it needs to have a suction. No, but it it doesn't need to have a suction because of the way that it works. The lip bobs up and down, so as well, it the creates it the... creates it itself. Mm. Um, yeah, it 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 has like a funnel underneath it, so the the water level inside is temporarily lower than the outside, oh, okay. so and then the lip suck bobs in, yeah. down and it sucks in. It is a cool. Yeah, idea. it functions by itself. Um, the second thing was a beer crusher, a beer bottle crusher, that crushes the glass of beer bottles into fine enough particles that it essentially turns it into sand. And they're using these to replace sand in beaches that are being that washed away. Washed away. That's very clever. Hmm. Um, so drink more beer <laughs> in glass bottles. <laughs> yes, but recycle it. Yeah. 
Um, edible, uh, still on the theme of beer, edible beer packaging. I've um, seen that before where it feeds the fish. It does, yes. yeah. It's made, well, I, maybe there are other companies it's, out there. It, it's the, um, for people wondering what it is, it's, you know... Um, it's the rings, you don't, the plastic you, you, rings. You don't really see it. You don't really see it in this country. Or maybe with tenants or something. Yeah. But it's the rings where you get like an eight pack or something. They're normally a six pack. Six pack. I think, I think it's more of an American thing. The the I, I honestly for the last three years I've a lot no, of cardboard now. Here. It's all cardboard. Yeah, mm. but they obviously still do exist. But this company called Saltwater Brewery has made these plastic rings that allow you to pick up a six pack or whatever, uh, and it's made from barley and wheat essentially, and it breaks down. And it's edible, which is a great thing. More of that kind of thinking when it comes to packaging will benefit the environment yeah, for sure. Will. And maybe uh, some fish. It, it, there is one small issue that I that I did think with it is: would it encourage people to just to chuck, chuck these chuck things? Oh well, it's edible by the fish. Does that mean people are going to deliberately chuck it in waterways? I mean, yeah, it'll degrade, but is I that something we want to encourage people to do? Maybe if they just don't encourage it. But if it f- goes in there by mistake, then, then it's, it's not, not a bad gonna, thing. Yeah. Um, edible water blobs. This what? is the weirdest thing. It's again, it's to do with packaging and reducing the amount of water packaging. blobs. Did you say blobs? Yeah, I did. I did say blobs. What it is is a membrane uh, made from a seaweed extract. Okay. So instead of imagine going into a shop and instead of buying your two hundred and fifty milliliter bottle of water, which is not something that I do very often because I normally have my own. A reusable water bottle, but you have a sh- uh, a shelf full of these blob, yeah, like perfect balls. So it's a bit. I, I'm I'm picturing here like a dishwasher tablet. No, 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 like the size of your fist. No, but I'm so, well, smaller. So but you can they're like a up. membrane, like the dishwasher yeah, tablet. Exactly. Have. Yeah. So it's 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 a it's a squidgy membrane. So it's please tell me you just suck through the ball. No, no, you put the whole thing in your mouth. It's not the size of your fist. What, I, so I, just I, like, I misspoke there. Just like a ping pong ball. So you just put the blob in your mouth. You put the blob in your mouth and you bite down, and the membrane bursts. It dissolves, and you drink the water. Sounds interesting. No packaging, sounds- but it has like um, it has like a a very thin membrane on the outside that you peel off, mm. like an orange. Okay, yeah. So that so otherwise it would be, be completely contaminated. contaminated. So you peel that off, and then it's all moist, and then you. You eat it. I mean, it's it's a good idea. I don't know how. I don't know. How, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it'll take off. But um, in the bottom line is is that people in the UK should just be refilling bottles. I, I've never really understood the buying the the water thing, uh, especially in Scotland. Especially here, we have some of the finest water on the planet. It's so good. And okay, further down south in um, you know. South of England, you've got a lot of um, lime, lime in, in the water. In the yeah. water, so it does taste a bit chalky and disgusting. Sorry about that; it's not not our fault. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that you could still get a water filter thing. I used to do it in Australia. The water tastes a bit dodgy in Perth um, because they used um, desalination plants and that. So it's not it's not the, the tastiest water. But as soon as you put it through one of those. Um, you know those jugs that just has yeah, a carbon the same filter. That our grand had honestly tastes almost the same as the water we takes get all here. the impurities takes out. all the impurities out. Get one of those, and one of those little cartridges lasted about six months. It's like next to nothing if you want good water, and then fill up a water bottle. It'll save you money. I was just thinking, a great government initiative to remove all of the need for plastic uh, water bottles is that any service provider but they should have provide... To. No, they have to. Do they? I think As it stands right now. I think it stands as it no, right now. No, but I'm thinking even like a petrol station. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. yeah now, yeah, that not. could be subsidised or they get... The, the Whatever's metered through that comes off their rates. 
Yeah. yeah it must be a very easy way, and that would cost almost nothing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a strange one because in Scotland we don't we don't pay for water. We do, and we don't. So the it's system, not it's not meters. Yeah, so it's not meters. So oh, it, mine is actually. But you are in a very unique supply, yeah. situation where you live. Uh, but ninety nine percent of the rest of the population in Scotland um, do not have metered water, so it's just part of your council tax. Um, so it's one hundred and forty or two hundred pounds. I think it's dependent on the size of your house, it, it, isn't it? It's a very weird system here, so it's de- we don't need to go into it, but it depends on the size of your house and the value of your house in 1960 or yeah. something stupid like that. So it's not on your, your current day um, value of your house. But anyway, so you just pay a set rate for water, so it means that you can just have the hose pipe on all day long, filling up a pond. Like we- N- not that we recommend that. <laughs> not that we recommend that, but um, the point is, is that it's not metered here, so there's no excuse in terms of monetary thing in Scotland for to someone fill your water bottle up. For someone, you know, not to fill up your water bottle. In England I think they're metered are they in England? I'm not I don't want to say that they all are, but if I know that there England, is a lot of metering. Let, let, let us know. If we've never lived there. So. Yeah. Um this wasn't part of the the list, but it, it's along the same sort of theme, so I'll finish up with this before we go back to you, Joe. Uh, it's we've I know that we did mention this very briefly on a podcast before, but I read a little bit more about it. It was about microfibers from your clothes and how this is affecting the sea. And they found microfibers, which come off your clothes when you wash them and then the, the grey water gets, disappears. disappears off essentially into the water system. A lot of that's not even, uh, you know, doesn't even go into the sewage system necessarily. Um, that has been found. There have been microfibers found in seafood. Well, that makes sense. But honey and also beer. Beer, yeah, beer. It's interesting. Um, honey, how how is it getting in the honey? Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't actually say. They just said that they obviously did some sampling of food. Maybe, maybe food it's store. dodgy honey. I don't maybe know. Dodgy. No, I'm intrigued because I'm just trying to think from a practical sense of of how well, how is microfibers getting. Think about this. You you've washed your clothes. And I'm just making this up yeah. now. I'm trying to work out a reason. You put it on your washing line and it's windy. It blows some microfibers off onto some flowers that are near your washing okay. line. Yeah. You know, they're very small, these microfibers. Yeah, yeah. And then it's in the pollen. And then the bee comes, collects the pollen, and now on, there's microfibers. On a scale like that, yeah, maybe. Because uh, you know the numbers. I mean, how many, uh, you, how many, your couple of hives that you've got there, they're doing a lot of flights and a lot, a lot of collection are, of pollen. They're doing a lot of flights. I mean, the, the, the one hive, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, I guess it's it's hard to imagine here where we're sitting right now because it's just surrounded by fields and there's yeah. barely any houses. To think around the towns. Around the towns and also hanging your washing up here is like a, a race to do in, the, <laughs> well, in, this, in this country. So you, you eye up the, the the clouds and go, do I have enough hours to dry my, my washing <laughs> or is it going to have to be done inside? Because I would say that 80% of our washing gets done dried inside Certainly during on the a drying months, rack. Yeah. Yeah. Beside the fire. Yeah. Think about London. When we were talking about this the other day, there's there was something that came out last week that was saying that there's they've got to the point in London where there's probably not enough pollen for the amount of bees, and that's because of this increase in recreational beekeepers. It's not the natural um, bee population there. But if you look at a place like London, I bet you there's not only microfibers in there. Oh, there's probably all sorts of pollutants. horrible yeah. pollutants in the honey. Yeah. From London, there, there must be. I, 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 imagine, I don't know that as a fact. I imagine the guessing. bees are fairly good at filtering kind of, it out, kind of cleaning it to yeah, an extent. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if it's in the pollen, surely it's in the pollen. Yeah, it would be an interesting one to find out how. I mean, the thing is, is the guys that sell it commercially, they probably get it tested. Yeah, they'd have to down south. 
Um, it is quite cool, especially in cities, how they do beekeep on top of tenement buildings and mm. the bees go and find flowers. It's incredible how how cool these little insects are that they, they'll go wherever they need to go to, 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 to collect. The issue, the main issue is not the fact that you would be eating a little bit of plastic fibre. The main issue is that, and I didn't know this, but toxic chemicals cling particularly to these synthetic fibres more than they would do to organic fibres. And that's the issue. Is it? I mean, and this compounds what we were uh, we were just surmising about London, is microfibers plus all of the toxic garbage that's flying around the air. They're clinging to the microfibers, and that could become the problem. Mm. Yeah, um, no, they've already banned microbeads in the states and here now. As yeah, well, I, think. Uh, I don't think you can buy um, microbead, microbead cleaning, cleaning, cleaning stuff anymore here. Uh, it's not. I don't think we could, we couldn't get to a, how, how would you ban microfibers? I think that's almost impossible. But I think what you could do is you could enforce regulation where people have to put filters on their washing machines because that's where most of it's coming from. It's the washing and then the grey water that's coming out. I imagine in the next ten years there will be a filter that you have to pull out and clean on yeah, a washing machine, just the same which as the tumble you, do, you don't get no. right now. But okay. What's, what's no? Well, you you can uh, you can pick up. Well, you're you're on environment, and I. I think I should just stay on environment for 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 a second. Um, a very interesting um, thing just came out, and it was actually a study from a, a PhD student in India, um, and they were looking at their waterways and how choked they are with uh, natural um, organic material, particularly mm-hmm. flowers. Um, and they in India they they use flowers for all sorts of celebrations, but on a lot, a very large scale for weddings, it's funerals, unbelievable. celebrations. You've never Bar- seen Barnes it. been to India, so he's seen it. Two million tons of floral waste is dumped every single day in India, and most of it goes into the rivers. And okay, organic, it's probably going to break down. But the issue they're having is that it's um, producing algae and it's reducing the oxygen levels massively in the rivers, and the rivers are dying. Yeah. So. Although it's organic waste, it's, it's still, still a nitrogen source because yeah. it's it's so much. Mm. Um, Who would have thought? Yeah, I, it was something I would never never think about. Um, so basically, they're just trying to find ways to reduce that. reduce it. Or, it's going to be really hard because yeah. that's you know it's a massive cultural thing. Yeah, and to make a, a cultural shift, something that's so ingrained in the way that people live there. I, I like the way hard. it added in the 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 research thing was. It's already polluted rivers because it's already full oh, of plastic. Well, plastic and, <laughs> and sewage. Dead, dead bodies yeah. and sewage. Well, along the very same theme as that, I just read this today, was that the state of Florida um, has announced a state of emergency because of what they call a red tide. Now, this is something that happens apparently every year, but is normally finished by about April time, and it's algal blooms. But in the okay. sea, we we I mean we get it here. Whenever I go diving, you see the huge algal yeah. algal blooms, and um, but it's not red. Here. No, well, and the reason that they've declared a state of emergency is because it's lasted so long. So since the 1950s, they've seen a steady creep. Um, not it's only Florida, on, you said. Yeah, Florida along the coast of Florida. Uh, not on not just on the, the length of time that these blooms are in the sea but also the intensity of them. So I guess the, kind of the density of, of the blooms. And this year it's been so bad that there's just been dead fish, loggerhead turtles, manatees, 
uh, washing up on the on the beaches. Hmm. Um, and they've got a real problem. They, uh, the one scientist was saying along the areas where the red tide is now, there is basically nothing left. It's all dead. It'd oh, be wow. interesting to speak to Robbie Kroger about that. I wonder. I wonder what um, what encourages it. The oh. heat. So. It, Algal blooms are natural. Yeah. They, they come no, from nitrogen. Yeah. And they, they feed off um, nitrogen organic material in, in the waterways. But uh, it is particularly exacerbated by pollution. Okay. So sewage in particular can make it um, many, many times worse than it would be normally. And also fertilizer. Because that is a obviously a very concentrated okay. form so of nitrogen. There, there's so there's obviously, pollution there's issues. obviously some form of issues going on yeah. where they need to sort yeah. it out. But I wonder if if they control it, if it'll go back, recede. Well, who knows? I mean, 1950s, that's a long period of time to see a steady increase. Yeah. You know, there might be more than that. It could be sea temperatures as well. I'm only guessing here. Yeah. Uh, but we know that our algal blooms in our fresh waters are particularly bad in very warm summers like the summer that we've had. Interesting. I wonder what eats it. There must be something that eats it. I don't know. But I, in the back of my mind, I seem to remember some sort of algal harvesting in Japan and I'm not sure if I it think was to do with specific, specific It could time. be something different. I don't know if anything eats it. Interesting. So I think I'll be going on to the, the next thing. I'm staying on pollution and actually staying in the US. Um, contact lenses, something that I never really thought about. I, neither we, of don't us, wear them. we don't wear glasses or contact lenses, but I've got a number of friends that do. And there is, um, according to a new study, 15 to 20% are thrown away in the toilet in the US uh, with 45 million users in the USA and 15% um, there's 15% of Europe also wear contact lenses so you can see um, numbers between the, the two parts of the world and they estimate that 200 tons of plastic ends up in um, I think they call it um, digested sludge and the problem with it is, I think there's 200 tons a year of contact lenses. And you think 200 tons isn't actually a huge amount, but it's it's contact lenses. So you need a lot to make up yeah. um, that amount. And I th- what, what's happening is that it's going into the sewage system because people are flushing it down the toilet. And then it's going into the sludge as it breaks down. And it's being spread on fields. And I'm not too sure how it works because in from my understanding, the you UK, can't do you that cannot... Here. You mm-hmm. cannot um, spray human waste on fields uh, which this was basically saying you know it's going from the sewage system onto the fields and this is where the issue is is that the huge amount of plastic is being spread across the fields so maybe someone in the US can maybe share some light on on this yeah we, you, we banned it years ago because yeah. I mean maybe it's, it's it could be one of these articles that's not being particularly clear but yeah may, maybe it's maybe it's not being particularly clear because I, I couldn't understand because it was talking about a sludge and being spread onto the field and um, I couldn't really understand because I would have thought it's the kind of thing that nearly all the world would kind of ban because the spread of disease is really bad. I mean, that's probably why back in the day a huge amount of diseases were spread because we used to spread human yeah. feces. I don't know if it's because we have better processing, ability to process it these days, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe processing cleaner. Maybe their processing system is really good. Mm. Um, from that, I'm going to go to just um, a bit of information. I don't know if we mentioned this at the time when it happened, but I came by it and I thought it was worth mentioning again because you know, uh, our regular listeners will know our affinity to Africa. And in March this year, we lost the very last male uh, northern white rhino. 
it was put down because it was incredibly old. Uh, it was in captivity, and there's only two females left. So the last hope of the northern white rhino will be AI. But the females are very old too. So, so they, we, they, they, they that need, could be an extension. They and, need know, to get onto it quickly. It's, it's at our doorstep now. Yeah, it is. Incredibly but, but, sad. But there is a little bit of light, the fact that we are able to do something about it, even at this final stage. Yeah, it's possible. What I thought was... Although the story is very sad, what is interesting about the history of it is that they were very heavily poached back in the 1970s, and that particular uh, male white, uh, northern white rhino was moved to the Czech Republic in the 1970s to protect it so that it would survive for purposes of keeping the population. And then I don't know actually know what period it was brought back, but at some point after the 1970s, it was brought back to Africa. But sadly, the you know the great plan and all that effort to keep it alive um, potentially might have failed. Well, I I reckon when they first did it, they didn't probably didn't realize how important that last rhino how, would yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it is. It's pretty sad. A new poll online. I'm not sure if anyone has uh, have have read this, but I I reckon that if you are involved in country sports or something to do with hunting. Uh, Maybe fishing to an extent, they seem to get, you know, get away with it a little bit. Um, but a new poll has revealed that two thirds of people living in the country have received online uh, abuse. Oh, yeah. It was a study um, that done by the Countryside Alliance. Mm. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't it? Doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and basically, they're they're calling for um, social media companies, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and so on to have stricter con- controls, stricter controls, or uh, better monitoring of online abuse and doing more about it. Because um, right now, someone can say, "I'm going to come around and kill your children," and and it is a hot topic. I mean, not just within the field sports community, but just generally speaking, yeah. online abuse is a hot topic. I mean, they, I think they even have dedicated people within police departments now they do it is now an offense i think in the country in this country to send an online threat to someone um but i think depending on who you are in society how serious they will take it and the kind of and the nature i don't know i mean there's probably a lot of gray areas with what people say the the problem like, like the problem is is that you can't blame the police in this country for not being able to tackle online abuse properly because they're understaffed, underfunded as it is. And if you they and if they're getting thousands of phone calls across the UK every day saying, this person said this to me online, you need to go and... I mean, come on, really? It's not going to happen. And I think that another thing with online abuse, there is some that is, I would say, fairly serious and needs to be taken seriously. But then there's others where people just need to like Man look, up look the it. other way and, yeah. and stop being... Like so, offend- yeah. I think I think the problem is we're now in this offended society where everything offends someone, and people just need to just I don't know, just grow up and not be offended by everything. Yeah, I agree. I've never seen so much. Like every week, someone someone is offended by something. by something that says. Yeah. If anybody grew up with ginger hair, then they <laughs> have it. <laughs> they would know what it's like. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm couldn't be more ginger really. <laughs> um i'm gonna change the change the topic completely uh for one uh for just one of my things on my list here and that is doctored photos because i saw a photo uh that had been that came up on my social media the feed the other uh, the other day and it was being praised because it was awesome and i looked at it and thought 
doesn't look real at all. Which is fine, except for the fact that the person, the photographer, in inverted commas, who had put this up had given this long spiel about how awesome it was that they had slept out in a tent until four o'clock in the morning by a waterhole and taken this picture of a buffalo with this um, with this night sky and stars behind it. And it was complete bull because you could see the stars shining through the buffalo. So I don't know whether the buffalo had even been taken during the day um, or if it was even real looking at it, but clearly they'd cut round it well, they hadn't even done that. They'd just done a really bad job with it the opacity. It was a very bad uh, Photoshop job. And my point... Did you give them some online abuse? I did, no, I didn't <laughs> give them online. I just... Uh, I didn't... I couldn't actually find the original poster because it was inside some group, so I only saw the what had been shared by someone who was a, a friend of mine on Facebook. And I just said, it's a shame that the the author of the the photograph has felt the the need to lie and tell a story about a picture that has been faked. Um, so I, I couldn't have cared less if it was just a picture. What I took exception to was the fact that he had tried to claim it was something it wasn't. I'm actually going to, well, while you talk, I'm going to just find out the, some information because there was a wildlife photographer last year that got caught out for, um, it was like the Photographer of the Year Award, like the worldwide thing, and he got caught out because he'd used a stuffed animal in the thing, but I, I'm going to find it while Byron Carroll is speaking. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that bugs me because... We take a lot of photographs and we take pride in... The whole point about a photograph is you're capturing something that is real. And there's no problem in making some tweaks and adjustments if you're trying to provide a photograph for you know a particular client if it becomes... If it's a job and they need something in a certain way. But don't lie about it, you know. What's the point? What are you gaining? What this person was gaining was they want he wanted everybody to think he was an awesome photographer off the back of this, but instead all he did was make himself look incredibly stupid. I found it. I found the you article. So this was last year. Uh, the winner of the environment um, category of the prestigious Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition has been disqualified after the competition's organisers discovered that the anteater, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a starry night scene. Have you got the picture? Uh, yeah, I do, of an anteater um, eating and with um, insects glowing right next to it. So this is it. kind of similar this to what we're just talking about. And he was disqualified because it was a stuffed anteater that he'd placed. Wow. It's an incredible picture. But it's a lie. But it's a complete lie. Yeah. Uh, and that's the the one thing with photography. You have to be so kind of careful what you're looking at. I mean, you can tell bad Photoshop jobs. But sometimes... And I, I guess this is where artistic license comes in because there's a, actually a huge amount of photography that is done that you go, wow, I cannot believe they captured that shot. But it has been artificially set up to capture that shot. I think um, kingfishers is a good example. They often wildlife photographers will use a tank. See, uh, I found with, when I found that minnows. out, I thought that that was pretty dishonest, and I yeah. was really disappointed by that. So, yeah. So what they'll do is they'll capture minnows in a tank, and then they'll place the tank in the water, a see-through tank, and then you can't see the tank, obviously. And then they'll wait, and now they know where the fish are, and then it'll dive into the fish. Yeah. Now, in a way, okay, that's you're setting up to get the perfect shot, but it's is it really natural? If, especially if you're a wildlife photographer, that is your job. Uh, no issue with people doing that. But no. be open about it. It's yeah. a little bit like, do you remember the Blue Planet? I think it was with the polar bears. Are they filmed and in a zoo? Some of the, cu- so the cub yeah. scenes, I think, were filmed in a zoo. Mm-hmm. But 
did they get caught on that, or did they show it in the the I making? I can't of? remember if they showed it in the. Making I think they or. maybe got caught slightly out on it. I think on that one they got caught out, yeah. but I think they've been pretty open with everything else since done then. Since then, because the, you know the new Blue Planet, um, no, it wasn't Blue Planet, Planet Earth, uh, two, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, there's a number of scenes in that which are not uh, wildlife. So the eagle scene, for example, with a camera on the back, yeah. that was actually a um, a tame eagle. A work which eagle. makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, it makes sense. You I mean you can't really strap a camera to the back of a yeah, wild, wild eagle. eagle and get your camera back and get your camera back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just it's about being being honest with your work a little bit. The, the, from a professional sense, the way after I thought I thought about it, I criticised it on day one, and then the second day I saw that some other um, really well known photographers that we know who are really good were also taking exception to this. And I thought about it a bit more in terms of trying to compare it to something else. And when you're telling a, st- a lie like that to say that you've achieved this, it's there's no difference from that on a professional standpoint as blood doping in sport. There's no difference. Like that guy who won the that you just oh yeah, there was money involved. There was there was money involved. There was prestige involved. There is no difference between that and taking drugs in sport in the photography world. I don't see any difference. No, oh, because you you are you're cheating. You're cheating to gain an upper hand against yeah. your competitors and future work. Yeah. That's that's what you're doing, yeah. and it's a lie. So from that to uh, you can fire up next off. You've got oh, something. Let me have a look. I'm um, going on to fish next. So. I think I'm almost, I'm almost done. Oh no, I've I've got I've got two left. Well, hang on. Do you, shall, I'll, shall I go then? Because I got I got quite a few. You got yeah. You can yeah, go then. Yeah. Um, there's a, a recent report out on salmon and trout conservation website there's talking about a salmon escape from fish farm up in harris where you've just been Daryl. yes um 300 salmon <clears throat> was just a bit more actually i think it was 311,000 uh that escaped in 2016 so a couple of years ago which is one thing but what is really interesting is that after two years of showing this uh, release, it was during a, a period of storms, in their accounts and, and loss and all the evidence being there, There's a, apparently there's also a database for um, escapees, escapee salmons from fish farms. 2018, the 2016 loss has now been recorded as zero. And they're saying, oh no, actually we made a mistake. It wasn't a loss, it was early mortality of fish. And what the salmon trout, cons- what salmon trout conservation is saying is that this, there is something fishy here <laughs> that just doesn't seem right. Because what this has done by removing that three hundred thousand is it's made the overall losses, um, escapees, sorry, of salmon from salmon farms look way better than it did before the three hundred. So it's like mo- moving the goalposts in a way, yeah. or or just re- it's you know what it is rebranding when something doesn't look good. You rebrand it and rename it as something else. But it just doesn't... I I read through the whole article, and to anybody looking at that, if that's the evidence, what it seems to be, to me, is a complete cover-up and a lie. I might be wrong. Maybe they're going to provide some amazing evidence to prove that they scooped out 300,000 dead salmon out the bottom of those cages. But then... If you think that you've lost 300,000 fish, the first thing that you're going to do in a fish farm is put your divers down and work out where the holes in the nets are yeah. from the storm because you're not going to want to put more fish in there. No, definitely. So you're going to see the dead fish in the bottom. Yeah. So it sounds like a complete cover-up to me. 
So go and read about it because it, it's an interesting one. And you know, salmon farms are under a lot of pressure right now because they're environmentally not friendly, really at all. If if you're wondering what we're t- talking about, salmon farms, we have done a few few shows on it. But if you if you think in terms of like a, a product that is on the shelf. There is no way in a million years that a farmer would get away with having 300,000 chickens die or 300,000 pigs or cows or whatever it is die with absolutely no consequences, no one going in to see what actually happened. They would be shut down. They would, they would, they would, either they would be shut down or serious questions would be asked of why their, their, the death rate is so high on their, their farm. And so that's why you should really look at where your food comes from, particularly your, your, your fish. Find out where it's coming from. I would say try and avoid buying farm salmon at all there until is, they change the industry. There is um, little are now selling farmed Norwegian uh, salmon that's coming from those. From on, closed containment. From closed containment. Yeah. So I uh, mean, we, we are going to do a podcast about that. I know we've been promising it for a while, but it's just trying to sort out the, the logistics of it. We do have... a more of a fishing-based podcast coming up at some point uh, in the next month. I don't know if we're going to talk about salmon farms, but there will be a fishing-based one. So it's coming. More info on that. Yep. Oh, on you go, Des. Okay. So I've got one going from this part of the world to Jamaica. Jamaica. Uh, and oh, I know what this is. And it is NEPA, which is their National Environment Protection Agency over there, I think. And they've asked all of the game bird hunters, because the game bird season has just opened in Jamaica, um, to shoot white deer, white, white-tailed deer on site because they're an invasive species. Hmm. Um, Have they asked the bird hunters to the do The bird that? hunters to do it, yes. So anyone. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that opens up some questions, doesn't yeah. it? I yeah. hope they, they gave recommendations of the size of shot, like SG and not the number fives that they were using to shoot the birds. They'll probably need a, yeah, a little bit more mm. kick. But uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. A lot of those islands have invasive species of deer. I'm intrigued, though. Has anyone ever been over to Jamaica to hunt? At, to, to hunt? I, I've I, never I, heard of it. I've never heard of it. Is, is it possible? Can you do it if you're not a resident? I, I don't know. Tell us. Tell us. If someone knows, let us know. Um... I was going to bring up something that Daryl noticed, uh, and then we posted about it, and it got picked up by the Countryside Alliance and a few other organizations, which was the guest editorship of Chris Packham in the latest National Geographic. Yes, so it was August's edition of National Geographic, which I, I, I am a subscriber to. Yeah, so he was the guest editor of the, the whole issue, um, and he had obviously the, the sort of... Um, the one page that the, the editor always has. And then the following page in there was a piece by, I think he was an investigator for the RSPB. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and a good chunk of that article was criticizing gamekeepers for illegal persecution. Open, openly. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it, 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 it openly says... Chris Packham's one, to be fair to him, didn't, but it was very clear that it was set up for the next yeah, it page, was, yeah. which so, was from the RSPB. Yeah, so, so I mean, you can you can go and read it, but Chris Packham's one doesn't mention gamekeepers or anything like that in his article. No. But the following page, like Byron said, does. Uh, which is fine, because we know that illegal persecution does go on, but it's one part of a way, way bigger um, picture. When I say we know that it does go on, it seems likely that it probably does in some places, just like any illegal activity happens anywhere in the world. There are bad people. It shouldn't happen. Um, so it's fine to highlight it, but what is not fine 
is the fact that there was no counter to it. Nothing, at all. Not, nothing and the at rest all. of the magazine, so having set that up in people's minds. It was mindset, about grouse shooting. Yeah, it was very conveniently because it was the August edition, of course, grouse shooting opening on the 12th or 13th this year because 12th is a Sunday. Um, so it was perfect timing for him, which I find quite distasteful. Um, but then the rest of the magazine was on uh, conflict and poaching, poaching around the world. So you set up gamekeepers on page page two, and then you talk about, talk about all that bad shit that happens in the rest of the world. Rhinos and yeah. and stuff around the world. So they're putting grouse shooting in the same. But don't tell me that that wasn't deliberate. It was subtle in a way, but it was absolutely deliberate and calculated the way that all those other articles were put after. So they didn't have to say any more. They just have this subliminal message where they've mentioned it at the start. And then people read about all this horrible, heinous shit that happens in the rest of the world. Yeah. For the rest of the magazine. Uh, I mean, yeah. Go and see it for yourself. <laughs> it's it's in it's in print. Are we still good on battery? Um, I, well, are, you, are you concerned? You got a concerned I, look I, on your I, face. I, there is no battery symbol anymore, so I don't know if it's going to go. So uh, okay, well, let's we swap over. Let's swap over and seamlessly, just like that, we're back with new batteries. Which takes me. You, did you have anything left on your list, or was that it? Um. I th- let me let me let me have a look at my list. Well, you have a scan through that. Well, yeah. I'll give a. Uh, yeah, I've a bit got. Of a I think I've got one thing left, but it's not 100 percent relevant, and it just says UFC on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you can give that after I, yeah. I talk about this. Yeah. Um, I will encourage every single one of you to go and have a look at 24lions.org. That's 24 the number lions.org. It is. Uh, there's a. a video out on Ivan Carter's social media right now, and I think we'll try and share it today as well. It's about the translocation um, of 24 Lions, funny enough, to Mozambique to try and repopulate and recolonize um, the, the, this area, but essentially the whole country in the long run. Uh, this happened on the, the 5th of August, and it's the largest um, translocation of lions over an international boundary in history. It's been done in conjunction with um, Zambezi Delta Safaris, which is uh, Mark Haldane. We've mentioned him before on the podcast, particularly on the ones that we did with Ivan Carter. Um, it's also been funded by the Cabela Family Foundation and Ivan Carter's Wildlife Conservation Alliance. They are, for the last 24-odd years or 30-odd years, Mark Haldane has been trying his best in this area that he has, uh, which he runs hunting safaris in, to look after the wildlife and protect it. You know, Massive anti-poaching efforts, huge uh, conservation programs. But despite this, the population of lions has continued to decline. So they, uh, it's a fascinating story of how they found this, these 24 lions from all over South Africa with varied enough um, genetics that they could form a pride that wasn't going to cause any genetic problems. And they're now there. They're in their... Uh, it didn't actually say in the short video I watched, but I, I imagine they're in a, a small-ish enclosure while they're monitoring them before they, they release them into the, the greater bush. But that happened on the 5th of August. Uh, it's it's an incredible story. And something it, you are able to... I'm assuming it's going to be a it. film. Uh, I would think so. There seemed to be quite a lot of video footage. Um, but just the sort of five-minute film that's been made, uh, it's it's incredible the effort that individuals are going to to protect wildlife for the future. Um, and Ivan's talked about it on his very popular yeah. podcast with us before. To give you an idea of the issue with lions in Africa, 100 years ago, there was about 200,000 lions. Today, there's about 20,000. 
it's nothing, is it, really, in the grand scheme of things? No. So, and, and some countries, and unfortunately I didn't write this down, but there, it's in double figures, double figures of countries in Africa that don't have wild lions on them anymore. That used to. That used to. Crazy. So they're trying to make sure that Mozambique doesn't... Considering you, you think of, if you, if you speak to any your average Joe on the street and you say, give me an animal out of Africa, they'll lion. say lion. Yeah, <laughs> king of the jungle. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we've always been big supporters of this, the the work that Ivan's doing, and he's not doing this alone, uh, but he is you know one of the sort of front men for it. So go and check that out on his social media. You'll find all the links to go and have a look at it. And if you would like to help support that initiative, then feel free. All the links are on on their own websites. So it's twenty four lines. It's twenty four lines dot org is dot org. Uh, the direct okay. link, uh, but you can go through Ivan Carter's uh, various websites as well. Nice, nice. Okay. Have you got anything else? Bob? No, the rest of the stuff I have is um, a little less heavy in terms of news. It was actually some film recommendations and podcast recommendations. Ah, oh, yes, of course. So we'll start with films um, because Daryl and I were bo- have both been watching a new series on YouTube that has been launched by Yeti called The Hungry Life. Yes, and it's it really bloody good. brilliant. It's really good. Really good. You watched one just yesterday, y- didn't you? Yeti, or the last one. The, yeah. the last one's been yeah. updated. Uh, it, it's, it makes me bloody hungry. <laughs> cooking is at the core. Yeah. It's visiting people around, I think it's mainly in North America at the moment, I think, but I don't know if they're taking it around the world. Um, I've f- completely forgotten the name of the chap who's in it, who's the, the lead character. I'll get us. Oh, is it coming? You uh, look, look it up and, because I'll we've talked about him before. He yeah, was because the, he's got a film out on um, Netflix. Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Um, he was the chap who got electrocuted by 24,000 volts um, by prodding a dead bear to see why it was dead. He was just hiking. He was actually hunting, I think, out in the backcountry. And he found this, came across this dead bear and he prodded it to see, you know, just out of curiosity, as we often do when you find dead animals. And he didn't realize that the bear was lying on top of um, an exposed electricity cable. Yeah. It is, I think that's, is that Eduardo? Yeah, Garcia. Eduardo Garcia. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, there we go. And his the film is called Charged. Charged. It, it's, I mean, I I watched it on Amazon Prime, and it was there two months ago. So I imagine it is still there, and it is really good. It's such a good film. I highly recommend going to see that. And if you are ever um, complaining about life, life, general. or you know, an injury, then uh, watch that, and then you realize you don't have much to complain about. No. So he is the frontman for this The Hungry Life series um, that is a Yeti production. And food is at the core because he was he, he was and he still is a chef. And yeah. that, that's at the sort of core of his life that's carried him through. Uh, but he's also a hunter. So he, he's visiting people where food is important to them to see their way of life. And it's, it's brilliant. I, I actually think it could be one of the best um, series of films that Yeti have put out. It's um, you don't need much time to watch these. They're no. about eight and a half, nine minutes long. Go and check one of them out. So definitely go and check them out. Uh, another one that I wanted to bring up, and I think I mentioned it before, but it's just so awesome. I just every time I see it on YouTube, I click it just to watch it for the five minutes it's on. Is is an, it's another Yeti film called, um, and it's called Carter Andrews. It's about a big game fisherman. Um, I'm not actually quite sure. Somewhere in Seychelles or. Somewhere like that. Somewhere hot. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> somewhere hot and stormy. Uh, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful production. Less so than the story, I just visually it's spectacular. Yeah, some really cool underwater shots and as well. One that we write, we've been writing up um, very short film reviews for Modern Huntsman. 
uh, our regular listeners will know that um, we've got articles coming out in the next volume of Modern Huntsman, which is going to be probably late September time, something like that. And you can buy uh, Modern Huntsman if you're UK or Europe, you can buy it through our shop. Uh, but one, the last film that I did a brief review on for the Modern Huntsman website was the story of Bison, uh, which is by Epic Bar. They make um, f- like packaged food, but from high quality products. So you, you, I had Tyler left me one when I was here last time, and it was actually a salmon bar. And it, imagine like a brunch bar that you'd have for your breakfast, but made out of high quality meats. So that's that's what it's like. And they were showing the story of where they source their bison meat. And it's a beautiful film. They show a field harvest. So they actually go shoot the bison on this, on this farm and the whole process and how all of the parts of the animal are used. And it had, when I first saw it, it had something about it. It was like, that is, I love this film, the way it's it looks and being put together. And of course, who is behind it? The team that uh, supports Donnie Vincent and Donnie Vincent himself he was there to help uh, put it together and his his guys at Sick Manta so um, it's it's amazing how when you end up with a really good film production company where you can like they have a signature you can just tell Uh, and the last one that I had was a new Sitka film called Say When and it's all about dogs it's about a, a Labrador dog trainer um and it's just another really beautiful film with a with a great story have you seen anything recently that tickles you? No, well, you kind of mentioned that those are the ones I saw uh, recently that were were really good. Hmm. Nothing, nothing else really. Um, the Hunting Film Tour is about to start again, and I believe that there's some really awesome films on that. I haven't had a chance to go and look at the trailers, but we did speak to the the guys who are running it because we were supposed to have something in again this year, but we just didn't get around to getting it ready in time, unfortunately. Um, but one of our films toured the whole tour last year. So good luck to everybody who's touring this year. Very cool. And um, I just had a thought that I'm actually going to Norway at the end of September for the next... Volume 3. Volume of of Modern Huntsman. So planning that, that far ahead. Yep. Uh, from that to podcast recommendations. Yes. Of course, now the, the reason that we're doing this is because Daryl did just put up a blog post about some recommended podcasts that we recommend you listen to. So we thought we might as well mention it to our podcast listeners. First and foremost, don't stop listening to this one. Yep. Obviously, (laughs) it needs to be the the number one on your list. Um, A new podcast that has started uh, probably eight weeks ago, something like that, is from our friends at Field Sports Channel. Um, Charlie Jacoby has been on this podcast a a very long time ago now, probably two years ago. Uh, And he is sort of the... The, the face of Fieldsport Channel, along with David Wright. And they have, after talking about it for a very long time, finally started their own podcast. I would like to think that they were encouraged by us and that we gave them the idea. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that is one of the reasons they've done it. But welcome, guys. Welcome to the family that is podcasting. So go and check that out. Um, a couple of these we've mentioned before, and we've either been on or they've been on our show. Journal of Mountain Hunting is one we always mention. Educated Hunter, you've heard from Curran Ireland, who's one half of the Educated Hunter podcast just a few shows ago. Um, so they're slowly building those out. And in fact, I think one coming up certainly in the next two months from them is going to be the podcast we did with him. So he was here, we sat in our office. And he did a podcast with us. So you're going to hear us on The Educated Hunter in the next two months. So look out for that. Uh, Conservation Matters, 
which is uh, Shane Mahoney's podcast. It's what a weird one because it's not a regular podcast. Yeah, he doesn't put out stuff, but often when he does, it's like a whole chunk in one go. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is extracts from speeches that he gives. And as a resource that's just sitting there, it's it's fantastic. And you, it's not going to take you long to get through them. So I, I'd get through those and listen to what the man has to say because he's a very articulate, intelligent intelligent guy who has also been on this podcast before so go back and and check out his podcast on here and then go through all the conservation matters ones Uh, a different one that i came across mainly because i was trying to listen to podcasts that charles post had been on another recent guest of ours an incredibly popular one i've thoroughly enjoyed recording that podcast and charles is going to be hopefully in scotland with us maybe even doing some filming before the end of this year but he was on a podcast called Mountain and Prairie, which might completely turn off all of our UK listeners uh, because it sounds like you know, something of the, in the West. <laughs> uh, but it's a fascinating podcast if you're intrigued about how the land works and how we use the land. So they do talk a lot about agriculture. Um, and it's very much less hunting and sort of fishing focused. But they have some fascinating discussions there. So they were even talking about soil structures on one of them, which might sound a little mundane, but it's actually incredibly important. And the way that they discuss the topics, it's anything but boring. So go and check that out if you want something a little bit different. Um, Joe Rogan. Yep, guys are given. saying. I I I love pro- the memes online, and it was it was like how how people were educated in the nineteen <laughs> was it like the nineteen seventies, and there's a picture of everyone in the classroom, and it's like how people are um, educated now, and it was just a picture of the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> he is some guy. Um, I, I've actually started watching Joe Rogan's shows on Netflix, and he he does a huge amount of shows, um, on. Uh, on just like random things he's really into like debunking myths debunking myths so there was um a whole one it was like bigfoot um chemtrails ufos ufos and then he goes and he debunks them and they're absolutely brilliant the thing that makes one of one of the many things that makes him so great is he just takes no shit yeah. He just says it exactly how he sees it. And his it. face, his fa- he's not like he's standing there with like a straight face and like nodding his head. He's there with a big grin going, I don't know about this. I really don't know about this at all. Uh, and the last one that I wanted to mention was the Hunting Collective, which is, uh, we have mentioned this before, just when it, when it, when it came out, because it's a fairly recent podcast, and that's from Ben O'Brien. And he's had some awesome, awesome guests on there. He's a, a really great podcast host. And he, he set an incredibly high standard for, for podcasting. So it's great to have him there. And uh, hopefully we're going to have him on soon. Or maybe even meet him because I believe he's moving to Montana. And we to, are, to Bozeman where everybody else We are to going be. to the States. Yeah. That That is something that in the next few weeks needs to be planned. Us going to the United States. Because we've been talking about it for so long. And it, we just need to go and do it. Next 12 months. But I, think, I think we need to time it with the shows that start early next year so that we can do a show and then spend a bit of time um i think we need to give ourselves probably three weeks to actually we need uh, to see the place because i mean it's so big it's so insanely big um and yeah it's kind of hard to i guess i live in australia so grasping how big places are is actually relatively easy for me but unless you've been to one of these big big countries uh, then you just can't get it because the UK is just a blip. It's nothing. It's insignificant. Bob- bobbing to, in the yeah. sea. You know, 
you, and we have so many of you so many of you guys uh are from the states like so many of our listeners are now from the various states in america uh, and canada and uh, so send us so. an email and convince us why we should go to where you live yeah to your state <laughs> uh we are coming yeah and i think that's a wrap from me that, that's 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 everything uh that's everything for me i think that's i quite enjoyed that yeah it was it we was should a, try and do one of these more often we we definitely should um catch people up with the world and what we're up to well, in fact we can tell people what we're we up to the next few months obviously i'm going to norway and then i'm off to ireland and yes we've got we've got a job in ireland with some a whole i believe it's going to be a group of very active people on sort of social media i don't actually know who's going to be there apart from the organizer uh jan halfmeyer um so there's going to be lots of bloggers and people who make videos and that there so we're we're going to be doing some of the documentary stuff for them in ireland I'm also going to get a haircut this week, just to let everyone, <laughs> just else, just everyone, to let everyone know. My a, hair is annoying me so much. A beard much. trim? A be- yeah, I've, I've actually been like just letting them both grow, and then I'll do them both at the same time. Well, I'm not doing my own hair, but yeah. And, and he also You don't let hair. anybody touch your beard, though? No, mainly because... They uh, always screw it up. They always screw it up. It's always... Oh, do you want, uh, Apart from that really cool place we went to before your wedding. In Aberdeen. Yeah. But they they knew what they were doing. Yeah. They were professional Well, you walk trimmers. in and the and the guys who are doing... There was girls there uh, trimming beards and that as well, but I think it was a guy who did It was a guy mine. that did ours, yeah. And he had a great beard. So you know yeah. that you're in good hands when the person trimming your beard has a great beard. My experiences of beards is that... If you go to like the the the, the barber, I, I normally get my my hair hair done at the at the oh, your hair my hair done at the same place, uh, you know, because you go to a place and yeah, you, you like get, your you don't have to say anything, you, you yeah, sit you down, you sit down, and you get done. Yeah. Um, but I learned very early on the beards they must not touch because one day I was like, oh yeah, can I just get a little bit? I just need it trimmed off, and then the the came out and <laughs> I lost over half of it, and I was just sitting there in the mirror going, you know what, you know, it's not the end of the world to grow back, but it's a little. Bit annoying that you've taken my entire beard off. Basically, you've taken my manhood. Yeah, Half yeah. of my manhood is gone. Um, so yeah, no nah, beard. I, I can deal with myself. Um, although I think my wife disagrees that I can deal with it myself. Um, but, I disagree that you can do. It. Oh, I mean, it's, it's terrible, but it doesn't help that I've got a mop on my head right now. Yeah. Um, my hair just—it looks like kind of curtains, and uh, yeah, it's. Not... You should tell people about your recent trip. What have I done? You've just been on holiday oh, for a week. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've been to. Oh, I was I was on Harris. Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah, I can talk about my uh, my rooftop tent. So I was away on the Isle of Harris um, uh, last week, and I got blown away for most of the week. We've had a glorious weather for months, and it was terrible weather the entire week. It rained. You picked a great week to go on holiday. It rained every single day, every single night, and it was windy. There was even tents collapsing. It was that that were not not my tent. And I just bought a rooftop tent for my vehicle. It's an uh, ARB. It's a, yeah, an ARB. And apart from a few minor issues, one being not enough guy ropes on the awning, not enough being none, um, <laughs> uh, which was a very odd thing. It held up considering there was no guy ropes, which I was impressed with. Uh, but they need guy ropes. It has to be done. And then the there's like an extra rain cover that goes over the top of it. And that just flaps like hell in the wind. And there was nothing I could do about it at all. And it was raining so much, I was a little apprehensive to take it off, considering I 
the the one thing I had going for me was I was perfectly dry, so I didn't want to you know chance your chance it. But um, I left I left the island a day early because it became an exercise of sleep deprivation because I hadn't slept for two days because the wind was that strong, um, and just the flapping and. I did everything. Honestly, I did everything possible to stop things flapping. And did it, it keep your dog awake, or did he not care? No, nah, he didn't really care. But I mean, the wind was so strong that the car was shaking, and yeah. it was it was an unpleasant week. How I, much of Harris did you actually get around? Not a huge amount. The lower part. I you mean, did some diving, though. Yeah, I did. I did some diving. I did some fishing. Did some walking. Um, I, we really wanted to spend a day on Lewis because actually on, on Lewis, it's, I mean, they're all attached. It's the same island. Um, up there, they've got a huge amount of historical stuff. I think, well, from what I could read, more than Harris does in the south part. And um, they've got a lot of um, Norse stuff. And I didn't realize that that's where the little chess pieces come from with the kings. And that was the first, they found ivory chess pieces on the, the beach on no Lewis. Way. I didn't know And that. they were from um, the Vikings. No way. Yeah. That's, so that's why. And then I, they made up the rules. Yeah. I think, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, but yeah, so we were planning to see a bit more, but it just means we have to go back. That, that's a simple matter of the, the fact, but I was very lucky to get on the returning um, ferry home because uh, I hadn't booked for that day because we were leaving a day early. And they managed to squeeze me on with about an inch to spare on my tow hitch on the back of the vehicle. Um, they even said to me as I'm driving around down the ramp, they said, you're probably going to have to reverse back up because we're not sure if you'll fit you. And I was like, you're fitting me. And, <laughs> I'm getting off uh, this island. Yeah, I'm getting off this island. And uh, then I, then we spent the day on Sky, which typically, um, I think probably most people have heard of Sky or maybe been to it. Um, in summer, the hot spots, you know, the the fairy pools, fairy glen, um, the Kerrang, all those the stacks, Old Man Stewart and all that, that's, um, you know, they, those are your hot spots. They can only be described as a hellhole. Um, I love Sky. It is truly beautiful, but they have massive problems with tourism there um, and not in the good way. Uh, the roads are absolutely it's, destroyed. I think the, without the, a shadow of a doubt, it's got to the point where it's being detrimental to the island. A hundred percent. I, 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 and the thing is, you speak to, you, you, it's, it's like a double-edged sword because the, the island definitely benefits from it because you look at all the B and Bs, all the hotels, everything is fully booked three six five basically, so that's great. But on the other hand, you've got to ask yourself how much money is actually going into the island because when I was driving through, I typically never go in the middle of summer. Um, but when I was driving through, it's just camper van after camper van after camper van, caravan and hire vehicles and tour buses. And I would say most of those people have brought their own food, brought their own everything onto the island. They'll use it on the island. They'll leave the island and probably spend very little money on the island. Yeah. And abuse it, screw up the roads, drive on the verges, make it muddy, make it impossible Dispose for the local of the people. toilets down Ugh. the side of the road that which Jesus. does happen that was a picture taken last week you know it's like disgusting. the um, the porter the porter toilets and the the camper van mm. side of the road just dump it out just dump it out doesn't matter it's <laughs> it's, it's insane isn't it? um and this over the last 5 and the crazy thing is they're still encouraging more to I do not know how they can fit more people on that island what they need to do is either destroy the bridge so that they can <laughs> I tell you what there's some people in the <laughs> sky who would probably like to see the bridge not there anymore destroy the bridge so that they can limit people going on the island or they do the sensible thing and charge um 
people that are not from uh, Scotland. Scotland or even the UK um, to go across. Five pound a person. Just to pay for the upkeep. It's it's insane. It's insane that, and also they built a new car park and one of the new places, and oh, it, it's not even finished. Hmm. The car park is already full with a th- with a three mile um, queue down the side of the road. Like they are, they're building facilities that are not even fit for purpose while they're being built. And we've got a few friends on the island that I'm sure have a much better opinion than us on the <laughs> on the the, the better, tourism yeah. the tourism problem. But I mean. Places must deal with it. I mean, when we were in high school, we learned about the Lake District and the the, what the, it called? With the paths, the, the, the hot honey pot yeah. um, thing, where everyone would go to Lake District in the summer and uh, erosion of paths and parking and all those kinds so of this things. Isn't new. It's not a new thing. It's just that it's new for Sky, and it's um, unlike the Lake District where people can spread out. Yeah, the island is not the that island. many roads, and the Lake District the, the roads are pretty good there. It's Mainly single track roads. Apart from that sort of main spine that goes north to yeah. south and sky, it's mainly small. And the driving. Oh wow! This is a little bit of a moan, but the the driving is unbelievable. I've got it on my dash cam. People driving at ten, fifteen mile an hour down the roads. You can't overtake because they're so bendy. Some of them are single track. Then stopping. I had a person stop in front of me on a very sharp, almost like um, ninety degree bend, um, going up a hill. And they stopped to take a picture of the the scenery on the left left hand side, and I was behind them. I just couldn't believe it. They know that it's not like a safari park where you drive and you <sighs> expect people to stop in front it's, of you. It's like people live there. It's it's yeah. That, that's the thing I don't. I I. It's crazy. Is that you? You go on the island and you're like, okay, this island's for tourists. Tourists. That's what it was for. But there's people that live and work there, and and it took me an extra what would I normally do in winter a half an hour journey. It was taking me an hour to get from one place to another it's, it's insane but I mean they just need to fix it and then it'll be a, a great place uh, don't get me wrong Sky is a wonderful place so if you want to come to Scotland um, it is definitely one of those things that you should go and see but time it right and be responsible when you go go after like October <laughs> yeah October um, and also there's no midges then the, the other thing which I find I think you'll find it all over the world I find insane is that on Sky, there's amazing spots, but people only go to the certain ones. So, for example, I drove and I knew some spots I've been to before, and I went to them. There was not a single soul because and it's, yet, like two because, miles up the road because it's more effort. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, you got to walk for an hour up a hill, but you're seeing the same thing that, if not even better than these other people, but they're going there because it's 200 meters off the road. They're probably not dressed right, and a lot of them probably won't be capable of doing the hour trek up a mountain. Yeah, yeah, it's but anyway. But so you kind of had a good time, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't what you had pictured in your mind. No, you it wasn't. It was. It wasn't the best hole that I've ever been on. <laughs> it's. I've been. Yeah. It, unfortunately, but we made the best of it. And you know, on one of the days it was really stormy and windy, we went diving for the day yeah. so i mean it, it was not yeah it wasn't wasted, it wasn't wasted but we, we made the the best of it so i think we will leave people to it yes after, we will after and that. we'll bring you another show in two weeks don't forget to enter the competition
And if you would like to follow us on any of the social medias, just look on Facebook for Podcast Into Wilderness and follow us on Instagram, Pace underscore Brothers. If you'd like to contact the show, it's podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. And to listen to the show, all you need to do is type in Pace Brothers Into the Wilderness and or just Into the Wilderness Podcast. It comes up on most um, devices and most um, apps, um, the number one being Apple iTunes, um, your native app, and the second one are now being Spotify. Spotify yeah. So if you are not on Spotify, you can have a free account on Spotify. And yeah. Byron's got the free version of Spotify, and I think you can listen to all of the music. Uh, you just get adverts. Yeah, you just have to put up with the old adverts. And you can't repeat tracks a certain amount of time. For, 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 yeah, there are some this is only for music. Yeah, for podcasts, you can listen to po- podcasts. Well, there's um, no adverts if you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, but so that's the number uh, I I use Spotify not for podcasts I use the podcast app but anyway there's loads um, so if you're an Android user Spotify might be a very good option because I actually got a message a week ago um, asking what is the best um, app for Android um, and I suggested uh, Spotify to them uh, but there is other ones uh, Stitcher Podbean Podcast Addict, I think they're Overcast. All, overcast. Uh, lots of options. iHeartRadio. Yeah. I don't think barely anybody listens on iHeartRadio. No, I think Radio. barely anyone does. I think Spotify is stomped all over them now. <laughs> um, choke, choking out the little people as fast as it can. So that's it. We look forward to all of you joining us in two weeks. 